Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm your host, Anne Remy. I'm a counseling psychotherapist, yoga teacher, and trauma specialist living in Brighton, UK. On this show, we interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. But we're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level, from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Happy New Year to you! Did Stevie Wonder really do... The happy birthday and happy new year, or did you just make it that? No, I just made it that. I love that. I don't think he'd mind. I don't think so. Yeah, I think he's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, happy new year to the future. We're recording, and it's not even Thanksgiving yet. <laughs> it's 60 <laughs> it degrees in Chicago. everything inside of me. It is not that in England. Yeah. It is like 40-ish. Did you just have to convert Celsius in your head? In my head, yes, I did. That's so cute. See, I'm you're, good at it You're now. bilingual even if you don't speak another language because you speak Celsius and metric system. I speak system. Celsius and kilograms mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kilometers, but I don't speak stones, which is another British way of weighing things. Yeah. Well, so happy new year to the future. Yay! Yay! Yeah, we're recording this because the Creative Imposter amazing team take Love them. a delicious holiday break. And I support that well earned. very deeply for them. Yes. So we're recording this super early, but we're excited because Anne and I are going to share something new with you for 2024. New. Fresh. New. Fresh. We have decided that we don't talk enough, and so we are. That's why I don't know, but we we are going to record episodes with just me and Anne on Zoom, so no editing because I don't want to pay more for that shit. Create Imposter Studios, you guys are great, but yeah, so we're just going to do Zoom conversations mm-hmm. between me and Anne. Have those mm-hmm. on Patreon. I haven't decided mm-hmm. which level of giving yet, but we'll figure that out when the time comes to it. And for our New Year January episode of that, Anne is going to do some meditation on you know sort of wishes for the podcast for the year and let us know what mm-hmm. comes up for her in her meditation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pull some tarot cards. We'll do that together. Mm-hmm. And it'll mm-hmm. be beautiful. And we're just, we're going to start doing that once a month. So if you want to support us and hear these conversations just between me and Anne, you can find those on patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. Mm-hmm. You can give as little as a dollar, as much as probably a million if you wanted to. All your dollars. Any billionaires out there, we highly support your support of this podcast. <laughs> you can also, because we need the money more than you do. Let's be honest. That's true. Uh, tinyurl.com slash CWH merch is where you can find some merchandise, t-shirts, tote bags, notebooks, all kinds of fun things. And you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, which we would appreciate from the depths of our soul. Yes. Speaking of the depths of our soul. Oh. Like that segue. That was good. Right, right? That was good. Yeah. This episode really did touch deep parts of my soul. And I'm really curious what happened for you when you listened to Michael. Mm. So, you know, we've talked before about how some of some of this stuff is not my stuff. <laughs> right. I'm a little wary of of spirituality. 
And what did the spirits ever do to you? Well, I'd like to know. My therapist and I are unpacking that. That should be a a you and me topic. We can definitely talk about that. I love it. So what Michael's episode did for me was help me look at the way that I am listening to the way others connect with their spirituality and the attitude I take towards it in regards to not yucking someone else's yum and the way that I intake information and decide, is this for me? Is this not for me? In terms of like new concepts or new ideas or new practices, the way that I can, instead of judging people or making assumptions, just let other people be with what their beliefs are and appreciate that as just as valid as as what my beliefs are or aren't. And I don't know what it was about Michael, but they really... Something they said just landed with me in that way. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is really helping me look at this process within myself. Mm, That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Did you hear? I am curious because I felt even though the episode that you did with Cheddar and the episode I did with Michael are vastly different in Mm. like tone and energy, I felt a similar way in Mm, hearing what mm -hmm. Michael was saying. Did you feel that same resonance? Yeah, I did. I got the same sort of vibe. And I remember Mm -hmm. something you said about Cheddar. You said something along the lines of like non-binary and trans people existing on this other sort of plane above the rest of us. And I really got a very similar vibe from Mm -hmm. Michael where they've really elected to be who they are unapologetically And what comes with that is Mm -hmm. this sort of next level way of thinking Mm -hmm. and way of being. Mm -hmm. And and right before you and I started recording, I was listening to the episode. And the last thing I heard Michael say before we jumped on together was living in the possibility instead of living in Mm -hmm. right now, which I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm going to I'm going to try to take that because I'm in this place that I'm in right now, so grappling with like where we are right now. I have so much fear for our profession and a lot of things in the world. And so I'm going to try to take that sort of idea of living in possibility and see if that supports, I guess, my existence. (laughs) Because it's hard to exist Mm. as a human right now, don't you think? (sighs) Yeah. And this is as cis white women, right? Like if we're having trouble existing, I can't even imagine what it must feel like for other more marginalized bodies, you know? Yeah. I Somebody told me the other day that their therapist told them, I've been trying to come up with something to say to you Hmm. about, you know, the current war Mm. going on in Israel and Palestine. And I've come up short because no human is programmed to understand genocide. Mm. And one of the things that I think about a lot is there's a lot of stuff that we experience that we're not programmed to experience. Like we're just not supposed to be able to to deal with Mm -hmm. this. And so a lot of people are struggling to deal with shit Mm -hmm. because it's on our phones, it's in our faces 24 hours a day, stuff that no human being was ever designed to deal with. God willing, by the time this episode comes out, the war will be over, but I doubt it. I don't want to make predictions. I want to hope for peace. Man, let's, yeah. Peace and liberation. But let's hope for peace and liberation in this new year. Well... With that, let us bring to the stage Michael J. Morris, they, them, 
Michael is an astrologer, tarot reader, artist, writer, teacher, facilitator, and witch committed to personal and collective healing and liberation. They began their consulting practice, co-witchcraft offerings in 2019, through which they share astrology, tarot, and movement ritual practices. They hold a PhD in dance studies, and their work is inspired and informed by many years of experience in dance, yoga, feminism, queer studies, and making connections between different disciplines and practices. So please enjoy this beautiful conversation with Michael J. Morris. Yeah. Are you a therapist stepping into leadership for the first time? Or maybe you've been in a leadership position for a while, but are bumping up against new struggles. It's a transformative journey and one that can be deeply rewarding, but also filled with unique challenges. Many therapists find themselves in leadership positions because of their exceptional therapeutic skills, yet leading, supervising, or managing others requires a whole new set of competencies not covered in graduate school. Our authentic leadership group is here to help you become the authentic and wholehearted leader you aspire to be. And we believe this journey is best undertaken with the guidance of experienced mentors alongside fellow learners. Authentic Leaders will run February 2024 through September, meeting once monthly on Fridays for 90 minutes. Join me in this journey of self-discovery and leadership mastery, where you'll enhance your leadership skills and forge meaningful connections with fellow therapists who are committed to their own growth and the betterment of the therapy field. To join me and start registration, go to www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash authentic dash leaders dash group. That's headheartbiztherapy.com slash authentic dash leaders dash group. Hello, Michael J. Morris. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be in conversation with you today. Me too, me too. And listeners have heard many episodes with me having laryngitis and are used to that by now. But just to just to note, it's still there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, how are you today? At the moment, I'm feeling very spacious. I'm feeling really grateful for the tangible sensorial transition from late summer into early autumn here in the Northern Hemisphere. I live in Columbus, Ohio, in the United States, which are the ancestral and contemporary territories of the Shawnee, the Potawatomi, the Delaware, the Miami, the Peoria, the Seneca, the Wyandotte, the Ojibwe, and the Cherokee peoples. And we're in those moments of pretty big fluctuations from nighttime temperatures into daytime temperatures. But I'm I'm noticing the angle of the light of the sun is shifting pretty dramatically as we approach the equinox, which will be next week from the time that we're recording this. And just really feeling grateful for the sense of change and transition that's in the air. Yeah, thank you for naming that. We moved a year ago, and I didn't realize before how I had a house without any light. (laughs) And now we have so much light. And I I noticed that same change too. And I have a lot of plant babies around. So I'm like curious about if anybody needs to move, get a little bit more sunlight. And I I definitely I'm I'm from Cincinnati. Oh yeah. From from Fairfield. Right. So if you've been to Jungle Gyms, you've been to my hometown. (laughs) Well my twin lived in Cincinnati for about 10 years. And in Chicago. And in Cincinnati. 
and now lives in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. So I've I've been to Cincinnati many, many times and, and just Chicago many, many times. Yeah, yeah. And you, well, first let's introduce you before I like really okay. get into it. So do you want to tell folks like who you are and what you do? And I mean that in like the full sense, not just what you do for work. Well, the short answer to that is my name is Michael J. Morris and my pronouns are they, them, there. And I am a consulting astrologer and tarot reader, an artist and writer, an educator and facilitator. And that's where how I spend a lot of my days, a lot of my time. I move between dance and movement practices and divination practices like astrology and tarot. I spend a lot of time reading and writing and doing one-on-one work with people in a consultation space, as well as facilitating movement-based ritual experiences, community gatherings, workshops, things like that. It's also a part of my work. And then also doing performances that are interactive and participatory where people are invited into doing some sort of meaningful artistic or mm, creative or magical ritual work with me. Yeah, I think that's some of the ways we can orient towards who I am. Yeah. I mean, magic is just the word that that comes up with all of that, everything Mm. that you do. That's Mm. really cool. And so I think we had talked, well, I'll go back to how I found you. I, I heard mm-hmm. you on the astrology podcast, which I listened to. I think it was the monthly forecast for August, was it? Yes. And I don't know. I think something has been turned on in me lately that I am hearing with a different lens mm. and the depth of the way that you spoke, you really touched something very deep in me. And I felt like I don't even remember what you said. And that's just how I kind of roll. Like, I remember how you made me feel. I don't remember what you said, but it was just, it felt very profound. It felt very expansive. It felt very progressive. And I just, I had to have a conversation with you too. Thank you so much for sharing that and how the episode and that conversation made you feel or allowed you to feel. I'm always, you know, I am so grateful to be in podcast spaces and to be in conversations with people. And and then forecast episodes like that are a little tricky for me because there's a way in which like as soon as we release that that work, as soon as August is over, that episode will never be listened yeah, to again yeah. because of the, the ongoing nature of timing and astrology. And, and at the same time, I think that it was a really meaningful and satisfying conversation. And I I was really grateful for the places that we were able to go in terms of discussing things like the Venus retrograde in Leo that was happening this summer and the ways that Venus was making multiple squares with the planet Uranus during that time and some of the ways that that allowed us to get into conversation around pursuing more liberatory or expansive experiences of desire and pleasure. And what does it mean to embody more of who we were perhaps told we couldn't be in terms of our desires and pleasures. And yeah, those were some of the pieces of that conversation that has continued to reverberate with me since having it. Mm, Yeah. And I I think that's a a great entry point to hearing more about your story and your evolution and how you you allowed yourself to step into the magical being that you are. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's multiple ways that we could go into that story. I guess, I guess what maybe makes sense is that I was raised in a conservative evangelical Christian family in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I guess first started moving towards magical practices or witchcraft more specifically in high school. I felt drawn toward books about witchcraft in the school and public libraries. I think looking back 
part of the ways that I've processed that period of my life. I don't think I understood this at the time, but I think that as a young queer person in that deeply evangelical Christian context in the deep South of the United States, I felt forbidden in a lot of ways. Mm. And I think instinctively or intuitively, I moved toward other places or spaces that felt forbidden. And witchcraft was one of those those spaces. And so it started there in high school, hiding in the stacks of the library, reading books about witchcraft (laughs) or bringing them home and reading them in the dark with a flashlight (laughs) late at night in my bedroom, starting to explore what my own ritual practices might look like. And then I went to college in Jackson, Mississippi. I went to a small Mm. private Christian college in Mississippi, which was an incredibly difficult place to live, but also um, had profound experiences in terms of my own development there. Mm. During the first year of college, I stumbled into a metaphysical shop called New Vibrations. In Mississippi. and Yeah, in Mississippi, in Jackson, wow. Mississippi. Yeah, it opened the year that I started college and it closed the year I finished college. Stop. And I'm not saying it only existed for me. But... I think it existed for a lot <laughs> of people. But we're not not saying it, that. <laughs> no, it created wow. a really necessary sanctuary for me during those years. And wow. New Vibrations was where I first started taking classes in how to read tarot. I started building relationships with specific rocks and stones. I started, I did so much reading. I really built, started to build a library of of books about magic and witchcraft Mm. during that time and was really inspired by the work of people like Starhawk, who is one of the co-founders of the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft, and Phyllis Curat, who's the founder of the Ara tradition of witchcraft, in which I'm also trained in the Ara tradition that came far later. So at that time, I was just doing a lot of reading and finding my way through and trying my best to explore what ritual and magic and witchcraft meant for me while still, you know, being at a Christian college and still in some ways identifying as a Christian during those first years. But those were also the same years that I was really becoming an artist. I was a dance major in college. I had started dancing in high school and then went on to major in dance in college, which then has become a a major trajectory in my life as well. I went on to get a PhD in dance studies and taught in dance departments and universities for many years. And those college years, especially the first year of college, was when I was also coming to terms with myself as a queer person, my own queerness. And so in a lot of ways, these threads of magic and witchcraft and dance and movement and queerness are really woven together in my experience in, in of all of those pieces coming together. And I could probably say more if we want to later in our discussion about how those things come together for me. But then during those years were also the years that I bought my first books on astrology, which were really initially like supplements to my magical practices. I had a practice of going out and honoring and observing the full moon at this reservoir on the Natchez Trace, which was just north of Jackson, Mississippi, where I was living. And so I was getting more physically in an embodied way, in touch with the lunation cycles Mm -hmm. and the waxing and the waning of the moon. And I think that made me more curious about how we make meaning or how we co-create with the sky, with the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And so I got a couple of used books on astrology from the used bookstore in Jackson. And I think those years, from that point, I really had a superficial understanding of astrology. 
I didn't see my natal chart for the first time until 2014. Mm. And shortly thereafter was when I started really deepening my study of astrology, mostly book taught astrology Mm -hmm. for the first couple of years. And then I started taking classes, online classes with people like Chani Nicholas and Demetra George, then eventually did my Hellenistic astrology certification with Chris Brennan, who's the host of the astrology podcast that I was on when you heard our mm-hmm. conversation, and then went on to take classes with Kelly Surtees, with whom I am now working in her online astrology courses, helping her teach the, the material that she's teaching. And so a lot of that is those are some of the pieces of how I came into a lot of the work that I'm doing now. Yeah, well, what struck me really initially when you said you personally felt forbidden and all of the magical practices, let's see, I have feelings and they don't have words with them yet because I'm just, I'm feeling the, the truth of and the depth of the connection that you had to create to yourself in order to allow yourself to be who you were, even though everyone around you would have told you it was forbidden. And I mean, it's beautiful to witness. I I feel honored for you to share that with me and, and with the listeners. And it also makes me sad that there are so many people in this world right now that think that people who move through the world like you and like I and many of the listeners shouldn't be living that way. Yeah. I mean, it's I am actually working on a research project right now for a conference that I'm speaking at in a couple of weeks, which may have already happened by the time this comes out in the world. But I'm looking at the transgender liberation movement through an astrological lens and some of the larger planetary cycles, namely the Uranus-Pluto cycle and the Saturn-Uranus cycle and the ways in which significant events and turning points in the movement for transgender liberation, really starting in 1966 with the Compton's Cafeteria riot in Mm. San Francisco, and then with the Stonewall riots in New York in 1969. And then from those events, looking at where we, where and how we came to where we are now. And of course, in the US right now, really starting in 2021, we've seen this rapid escalation of anti-transgender legislation in the U.S. It was more than double from 2020 to 2021, the number of anti-transgender bills being introduced across the country. And then there were even more in 2022. So we've seen the crest of that, and now we're living in the ramifications of Mm -hmm. that. But doing that work and being in that research, I'm really thinking a lot about the ways in which legislatively, which has to do with politics, but also to do with the culture that we're creating, there's just such intense messages being put out into the world right now of just how much there are people who do not want us to be here, who do not think that we deserve life and livability, who do not think that we should be a part of public life if we are to exist at all. I mean, there was a pundit at a conservative conference last year who literally got on stage and called for the extermination of transgenderism from public life. And it's like, oh, well, so I guess we're just going to be really transparent about the agenda here that we are talking about. I think actually the word was eradication, the eradication of transgender people. Mm -hmm. And so it's not an accident that now, you know, and also at the times that we were coming up in the world that there are those of us who felt like we were forbidden from being here. So then what does it mean to come to practices 
that give us a sense of connection or belonging or a sense that we are part of something that's bigger than not only ourselves, but bigger than these socio-cultural political forces that tell us that we shouldn't be here. And astrology has been one of those practices for me. I mean, magic and ritual have been one of those practices. Dance and dancing have been practices like that for me. Yoga, Reiki, lots of different practices in my life. But astrology has become pretty central in terms of my day-to-day work and how I'm navigating my life, but also how I'm supporting other people in navigating theirs. And I think one of the foundational things that astrology offers is, well, several things. I mean, it connects us to so much that one of the basic assumptions or understandings in astrology, before we ever even look at a chart or interpret someone's chart with them or for them, one of the basic assumptions has to be that there is some sort of meaningful connection between our lives that we are living here on Earth and what is happening with the movements of the planets and the stars in the sky and the cosmos. And already just coming into that awareness or that consciousness that we are We have always been connected to a cosmos that's bigger than us, but also bigger than this moment and bigger than this particular political organization called a nation state and bigger than this moment in history. Just coming into that awareness can already facilitate so much healing and belonging, I think, for so many people. And then the ways that practicing in a particular astrological tradition also connects us to the past. That, I mean, specifically the tradition of astrology that I practice is rooted in Hellenistic astrology, which is about 2,000 years old. It emerged out of a synthesis of Mesopotamian and Egyptian astrology during the Greco-Roman Hellenistic period. And so these are times and places and cultures and periods of history that, you know, predate capitalism, that predate the transatlantic slave trade, that predate a lot of the industrialized human exceptionalism that we live in in this particular moment doesn't necessarily predate all of the systems of oppression that we inherit into this moment. Obviously, there was sexism and patriarchy throughout those cultures. Obviously, there were various forms of racism that were still operative in those contexts. There was slavery in those periods, different kinds of slavery in those periods as well. So I'm not trying to point towards the past as some sort of utopia without any of the troubles or concerns or oppressive systems that we live with today. But to say that there is something meaningful about being able to be in a practice that connects us to times and places that are far removed from where we are here and now, and to give us that sense of spaciousness that we don't only live in this moment, that we live in connection to all of these moments. Those are some of the places that I think astrology offers, or some of the resources I think astrology offers to this sense of being forbidden or not belonging or the messages that we shouldn't be here. The way it's really helped me too, because when the pandemic happened, I, like many other people who didn't know anything about, I didn't know anything about astrology at that point in time, like freaked out and thought the world, I really thought the world was ending. And I was like, well, I'm going to eat all the cookies and ice cream I can then until the end of time. (laughs) And as I've begun to learn about astrology, and I'm still like in very, very baby, I understand it going in, but I cannot repeat it. (laughs) That's kind of where I am in my journey. It helps me know that these are cycles, that Mm -hmm. humanity hasn't been in this exact place before, but we've been in these places time and time. We've Mm -hmm. had the same 
you know, the same sky moving and, and, and changing. And so we can make it even though it's really painful. Yeah. I mean, even that feeling of the world ending in a way the world did end. Thank you. Yes. In a way that we have lived through many endings of worlds that for people who lived through the height of the AIDS epidemic, their worlds ended. There are ways in which the worlds they inhabited would never be the same again. I imagine that people who survived the transatlantic slave trade, their worlds ended and then their worlds began again. And that survival, that capacity to move through those great endings, to discover that in fact, we are in a cycle. There is a beginning that comes with the ending. I think that's maybe some of the most, some, one of the most profound insights that we can derive from the cycles yes. that we see in astrology is to recognize that in a lot of ways, we are living through the endings of worlds. Some that we will grieve the loss of those endings, but also some in which we're looking toward. We're looking toward the ending of late stage capitalism and the kinds of oppression that comes with it. We're looking toward the collapse of white supremacist structures in the United States. And that's, those are also endings of worlds. And we can see that we're in the kind of like last gasping breaths or death rattle yeah. of some of these, these massive systems that are no longer working in the ways that, that they were intended to. And I mean that oppressively, the ways right. that they were intended yeah. to oppress and marginalize. We can see that through resistance, through protests, but also through people and communities choosing to co-create worlds with and for one another in excess of those systems, that those systems are no longer holding together in the ways that they once did. And so, so in a lot of ways, we have lived through the end of the world or the endings of worlds. And now we're finding what does it mean to be in the next cycle or in other cycles as well. Hearing you say that is so comforting. And it's, mm -hmm. I mean, and then this goes back to witchcraft, right? Like the passing of the the seasons and being able to honor mm -hmm. that things must die so other things can be reborn. And I shared with you when we started that I've, I'm nursing a broken heart right now. And I actually in therapy today was like, I think my heart's being broken open for a reason, mm -hmm. for something else to come through. I mean, yeah, I have had my own experiences of heartbreak and and it makes me think of several things. One, after a recent heartbreak, I was talking to a dear friend, Annie Sprinkle, who said that similar language that you just used in terms of rather than thinking of my heart being broken, thinking of my heart being broken open yeah. and what then gets to come through because of that heartbreak, what more, what becomes possible mm -hmm. because our hearts have been broken. And it also makes me think of, I actually just posted this on Instagram this morning. Um, these are quotes from Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong. The first is from Joe Reynolds. Brene Brown is quoting Joe Reynolds, who said, heartbreak is what happens when love is lost. Mm. To love with any level of intensity and honesty is to become vulnerable. To love is to know the loss of love. Heartbreak is unavoidable unless we choose not to love at all. A lot of people do just that. And then Brené Brown says, the heartbroken are the bravest among us. They dared to love. And so in a lot of ways, we might think of how heartbreak is part of loving and is part of what then opens us to loving again, mm -hmm. depending on how we find our way through that, how we navigate that. Yeah. 
And it makes me think of the people who not only created the oppressive systems that we're fighting against right now, but but also perpetuate them and uphold them. They can't hear that because there's so much scarcity. There's so much contraction. And mm-hmm. I'm just, <laughs> I'm so grateful to be here with you today mm-hmm. and to be able to feel everything, all of it, as, as painful as it is to really, and I, I believe you, and I've never been able to believe in expansion in a time of, of heartbreak and contraction before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny because I thought about canceling today, but then I was like, no, I think there's some medicine in our conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and just, I've been saying lately on the podcast, I really, really think that people who are trans and non-binary, I think your brains are more evolved. <laughs> <laughs> I truly do because the way that you're speaking, what I'm, what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling with you is more than what I, I know, if that makes any sense. Sometimes I say things where the words just don't do them justice, but I know, I know that the listeners get it when I say that, that mm. you have more in a beautiful way. I think I'm guessing you can imagine a world, a future, much differently than I can. Well, I mean, I think so many things about that. First, thank you for being here and for being with all of the feelings, all of the tenderness, all of the heartbreak, and also all of the possibility and the potentiality of what else could be in this moment. And to be with that with me feels like such an honor and such a gift. Thank you. I think that there probably are ways that experiences of moving through the world as a transgender person, as a non-binary person, does ask or invite us or require us to consider or think about things that maybe we wouldn't otherwise, or to consider and think about things in ways that we maybe wouldn't otherwise. And also, I think that if there is more that I am capable of sensing or perceiving or sharing, I think a lot of it has to do with the people f- who I've learned from, mm. that I, I often think about the fact that I'm not, wherever I am or whatever I'm doing or saying or thinking is, I'm not the only one here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking with yeah. countless others who have supported and shaped my thinking. And one of the things that you said made me think of this quote from Marquis Bay, who wrote a book called Black Trans Feminism, who said that our feminism is inextricable from our being able to live otherwise. Mm. And I think that that's so much of what fuels and supports and enables our capacity to move toward a different world, towards hopefully a better world, is that capacity to be able to imagine even living otherwise, what else might life look like? And I think that sense of possibility, I have a loved one actually who lives in Chicago, who said sometime this year, that the way that she talks about God, I talk about possibility, Mm. that maybe possibility is is integral to my understanding of divinity. And I was like, I think so. I think you're right. (laughs) Because I think that the ability to be fully present and committed to the felt experience of this moment, while also understanding that this moment is always already connected to a whole constellation of other possible moments, is part of what allows us to function in this moment. 
I mean, that's something that happens a lot in ritual is that we we often say whenever we're creating or or recognizing sacred space that we are between the worlds. Mm-hmm. And after, you know, 20 years of approximately 20 years of practicing witchcraft, one of the ways that I've thought about like, what does it mean to be between the worlds? Mm. I've come to think about it as being between the world as it has been and all the possible worlds that are yet to come. Mm. And that in this moment, when we ground ourselves in this moment, yes, we're connecting to the only thing that exists, which is right now. And we are also connected to all of these currents and waves of possibility and potentiality for how else the world might yet become. And then that's where magic happens, is within that field of possibility, what are the currents that we're going to tap into? What are the directions or the trajectories that we're going to put our energy into or move with in order to make that possible world more possible than others? Mm. And, you know, that's the work of magic and ritual, but that's also the work of organizing and activism is to commit to particular currents that make some world's more possible than other worlds. And you're just making me sort of crystallize, I think, one of the reasons I feel so overwhelmed and I feel like I get stuck being unable to imagine a more expansive future. And it's because I'm so, I get so caught up in being angry and and being Mm. pushing against what is. And my curiosity is, are you spending more of your time just creating and imagining, and that it's like leading you to freedom, liberation. Hmm. I think that is a big part of it. I think anger is important too, and some thinking around that might come together. But in terms of where we put our energy, Mm -hmm. I think that it is, yeah, actually the friend who I mentioned earlier, Annie Sprinkle, she and her partner and collaborator, Beth Stevens, had this project for for many years. It was a seven-year project called the Love Art Laboratory, Mm. which was intentionally a response that was started in, I want to say, 2005 or 2006. That was intentionally a response to the anti-same-sex marriage movement that was really uh, volatile in the U.S. at the time, but also the wars that the U.S. was engaged in, as well as what they described as a pervasive culture of greed. Mm -hmm. And they produced a kind of art that was really inspiring to me as a college student and then went on to write about them in my dissertation in my doctorate, that rather than making work that focused on protesting these forces that they were identifying in the world, they made art that embodied love and connection Mm -hmm. and community. They made more of what they wanted to see in the world rather than channeling or focusing their energy on what they wanted to see less of in the world. I think we need both. And I do think that sometimes when we are swept up in really important experiences of anger, it feels harder to give our energy, our attention, our imagination to creating more of what we want to see in the world. Yeah, and I think it also matters what systems we're interacting with on a regular basis, because when I think about what Mm -hmm. I want for my profession of psychotherapists, I think that what we need is to get reconnected with our hearts and our Mm. bodies, and there is so much resistance to that individually Mm. and collectively in the profession. And so I think I want to figure out for myself a way that I can continue because I I feel like you in the way that it's like 
I'm existing. I'm pissing people off just by existing. Here I am. <laughs> like, you know, people who will hang out with me will listen to the podcast and, you know, be my friend and other people will hate me. And I'm very divisive in that way. How can I just continue to lead with love mm -hmm. and just to continue to create regardless of how many people are interested, right? Yeah. Because I was going to ask one of the questions I wanted to ask you was how you survive in Ohio. I mean, I know that Columbus is, if I were going to live anywhere in Ohio, it would be Columbus. So well done. <laughs> Thanks. But um, I'm sure you're seeing Trump signs all over the place. And there's a lot, mm. there's a lot in the state that's really, really toxic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love living in Columbus. I moved here for grad school in 2008 and then got a job straight out of grad school here. And then after that job ended and I moved into full-time self-employment as an astrologer and tarot reader and ritual facilitator, I've continued to make this place my home. There's a lot of reasons for that. I think you're right that Columbus is unique in the, the landscape, the political landscape mm -hmm. of Ohio. I actually don't see a lot of Trump signs or anything Whew. like that in Columbus. Good. But I did just drive to Michigan and back this past weekend to visit friends. And I saw a lot along the way on that I'm drive, 70. moving through the more <laughs> rural parts of, mm -hmm. of Ohio and even Indiana, in Michigan. Yeah. And I could feel the difference of that. But I mean, some of the things I love about Columbus is the rich community that I've built here or been part of, been honored to be part of here over the 15 years that I've lived here queer communities, burlesque communities, yoga communities, queer yoga communities, communities of people who are in various ways engaged in magic and ritual and witchcraft and dance communities. There's just there's been such a rich, vibrant source of community here. But then also, and I say this a lot to people, so if people are listening, they're like, oh, I've heard them say this before. <laughs> Columbus feels like a really resilient place with which to ride out the climate apocalypse, by which I mean, we don't have wildfires, we don't have earthquakes, yeah. we don't have hurricanes, we don't have floods, we don't have droughts. You do have tornadoes, though. We test the tornado sirens yes. every Wednesday, but I've lived here for 15 years and we've never had one. They came to Chicago, <laughs> so like, actually. They followed me. <laughs> they came yeah. with you, yeah. And so it's so like in terms of like the undeniable climate catastrophes mm -hmm. that people are facing all over this planet, it feels like the Midwest is shockingly resilient in terms of a lot of those things. And so yeah. that's part of why I love living here. And then also just the connection to the land and the landscape and the rivers here are a big part of what sustains me. So in terms of that question of like, how am I surviving? A big part of it is community and then connection with the more than human world here, with the rivers, with the, with the land. And then the practices, the practices that would be part of what sustains me wherever I am. Practices like witchcraft and ritual and astrology and tarot and, and dance making and moving. Those are all part of, I think, what sustained me. Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful. So I'm really curious your answer to this question. How do you relate to the word healer? Hmm. I think I'm more inclined toward the word healing than healer, which is a subtle distinction, I know. I often say that my work is committed to personal and collective healing and liberation. I absolutely think that the practices that I offer and facilitate that we've talked about, like astrology and tarot and ritual, et cetera, have the capacity to support us in our healing and that our personal healing that we're doing with ourselves is never separate from collective healing because so many of our wounds are simply the the parts of collective, larger social cultural wounds that we are carrying. 
And I guess I think there's several things that I think about healing at this point in my work, several persisting beliefs, I guess I would say. The first is that, from my view, healing is not linear, and it may not have an end point. (laughs) Damn Um, straight. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is something that I think I learned from the work of a postmodern dance pioneer named Anna Halprin, who did a lot of work around dance Mm. and healing, and that was something that she articulated that healing is an ongoing process and it's a practice. And some of the language that I've come to over the years is that it's perhaps healing as a way of being with our wounds rather than those wounds ever necessarily going away and knowing that they will never have not happened. Mm. So then how do we be with them? That that to me is the practice of healing. And then for me also, I use the word healing almost synonymous with the word connection. Mm. It seems to me that so much of our pain and suffering and dis-ease comes from disconnection, some of which you were already gesturing toward, disconnection from ourselves, from our bodies, from the earth, from our ancestors and our traditions, from one another. And I think I think this idea I came to several different ways. One was very specifically from the work of a queer Jewish witch and community-based healer named Dory Midnight, who has talked about healing as connection. Mm. But also, I think this was an idea that I came to through a lot of feminism, specifically Black feminism, and also the healing justice movement. This recognition that my suffering and oppression are not separate from the suffering and oppression of others, which means that my healing and my well-being will not be separate from the healing and the well-being of others either, especially those who are most marginalized in our world. And we get this, we see this from the Kambahi River Collective, who wrote in 1977 that if Black women were free, it would mean that everyone else would have to be free, since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all systems of oppression. And we see this in Kimberly Crenshaw's introduction of the idea of intersectionality, the idea that those who are most marginalized in our world who live at the intersections of many different axes of oppression, that their liberation would facilitate the liberation of other people who live at any of those axes of oppression. And we get this from Fannie Lou Hamer, who was a civil rights activist, and uh, among other things, who said that nobody's free until everybody's free. And also Audre Lorde, who taught us that I am not free while any woman is unfree, even when her shackles are very different from my own. She wrote that I am not free as long as one person of color remains chained, nor is any one of you. And then Marsha P. Johnson taught us, you never completely have your rights, one person, until you all have your rights. And I think what all of these pioneers, these leaders, these artists and activists and thinkers we're gesturing towards in what we might broadly consider a movement of Black feminism is an understanding that in as much as our oppressions are not separate from one another, then our healing and our liberation cannot be separate from one another either. And so my hope is that in the work that I'm doing, the one-on-one work that I do with clients, working with astrology and with tarot, the more community-based work that I'm doing with movement rituals is a way of doing the work of our healing with one another, whether it's just the two of us or whether it's in community in some way. 
and recognizing that even in those contexts, even if it is seemingly just the two of us on a Zoom call or the 20 of us in a, in a movement space for a workshop, that we are doing work that's related to the healing, the liberation of others who are not in that space, because we're doing the work of healing our part of a wound that's bigger than any, any one of us. Does that make sense? So much sense. And it, oh, it just feels, it feels so good. It feels so true. And I think, you know, I I can see how my mind is continuing to go back to the people who don't (laughs) believe what we believe, but to divorce Mm -hmm. oneself from another person's humanity so much that you can hate them and want to eradicate them means you're divorced Mm -hmm. from your own that, yes. That's also interconnection, you know, yes. of, of the destructive kind. So I really want to like keep this with me that that as I'm healing, we're all healing. And I've I've thought about mm-hmm. that from a, a familial place, right? Like I, I don't have right. children, but but I do believe that the people who come after me will benefit from my healing. But I hadn't really thought about it in, in terms of the entire collective. Well, and in terms of the familial. If we adopt any sort of ancestral healing perspective, right. the healing that you're doing yes. is also a way of healing backwards along your ancestral yes. lineages, which are not only of blood. When I do ancestor work, I think of my ancestors of blood, yes, but also of path and possibility. And of those kind of distinctions, I'm talking about, yes, the people in my bloodline with whom I shared DNA, and there's a lot of healing to be done along my bloodlines, but also my ancestors of path, which are the people who walked the same paths that I yes. am walking, which for me are the dancestors. The dancestors, I love it. Dancestors, sorry, that's a thing we <laughs> say in the dance it. world. Our dance ancestors, yeah. you, who quite literally, quite literally live in our bodies. Right. Not through DNA, but because how you move shapes the body that you are. Any, any physical therapist, let alone kinesiologist or dancer or anything, will tell you that like what when you do an action over time it literally reshapes your tissues and mm-hmm. bones and so my body has been shaped by the movement of dancers and choreographers who are no longer here who their movement was passed down through other people into my body and my body then transmits that to other bodies and so in a very physical but not genetic way the dancers who came before me are literally my ancestors of this body that I am um, and so the ancestors of path I also include the witches and ritualists and practitioners of the various traditions that I'm a part of in terms of yoga, in terms of Reiki, these paths that I've chosen to move along, that those people are my ancestors as well. And then I think of ancestors of possibility, which for me are primarily the queer and transcestors, the people who lived lives so that the life that I am now living is possible. And we may or may not be connected by blood, but we're connected by possibility. And so when I do my healing work around gender and sexuality, the ways the world has made me feel unwanted or that I don't belong, as I do that work of healing with myself, I'm also healing something with and for them as well. And I'm doing that with the ancestors and the witches who came before, and I'm doing that for my blood ancestors. And so yes, definitely the healing we do creates a different set of possibilities for those who come after And if we hold with this cyclic, nonlinear view of time, there are ways in which it must also do something for those who came before, that history is not Mm -hmm. actually a closed book, that there are things that are changing for us and for others in the past because of what we are doing. I absolutely believe that. Yes. 
Yes, yes. And I can't remember where I had heard that recently, but they didn't use the term ancestors of path. But I, I love that because I'm, yeah. I'm a musician too. So I think about, you know, musicians who've come before me, therapists who came before me and, and all the traditions. So I just, I am so grateful to be in connection. This has just filled my heart in a way that I don't think, I don't think I'll know <laughs> really, but this has been really, really special. I'm so glad. Yeah. I was quickly looking for this reference that really shaped my understanding of nonlinear time. And it comes from Alexis Pauline Gums, who she said this in a in a podcast, on a podcast episode on how to survive the end of the world mm. with Adrienne Marie Brown and Autumn Brown. And she was talking about nonlinear time and Let's see if I can find it before we wrap up. I might not be able to find it. I might just have to paraphrase. paraphrase. Oh, here it is. She describes what does it mean to be present within a nonlinear time. And she says that being present is not to exist in isolation. She says, if I'm present, everyone is here. If I'm present, I have access to everyone and every moment mm. that's ever existed. It's not linear in the sense that I cannot be separated from that love that has generated me. You know, I'm connected to that. And that's what has generated me and also what's being generated. And that changed so much for me, maybe changed everything for me when I heard that this idea that, well, first, that I can never be disconnected from the love that generated me. And that's a love that's bigger than just like, who were your parents or who were your grandparents? Yeah. But like, what was the love of life yes. of this world that brought me into being and that that's what I'm here to generate and to create and as well. But also this idea that part of what it means to be more and more present, which is, you know, language that we use in ritual, but also language that we use or we hear in mindfulness conversations and in therapeutic contexts, like being present as a remedy for so much of our suffering, that part of what it means to be present is to be aware of our access to everyone in every moment that's ever existed or will exist, because it's all connected to what's happening here and now. And there's so many pathways that we could explore to facilitate those connections. As I've said, like astrology is one of those for me that is as I build ongoing relationships with the moon and the sun and the planets, with their cycles, with the changing seasons, that I understand that this moment is part of other moments, that other moments are part of this moment. That I even said on, I was doing some writing at some point, sort of in response to, I think, can't remember if it was something that someone said on on social media or if it was something a client said, but I was just thinking about like, why do we, in astrology, you know, a big part of astrology is looking ahead, even like the episode that you listen to on the astrology podcast of looking ahead at what's coming in the astrology or coming in the, the movement of the planets as a way of understanding ultimately something about the future and why do we do that? And I was reflecting on that and I, I wrote back in, when was this? Like March, that perhaps we practice astrology not simply to predict the future or analyze the past, but to access the resources we generate as we become aware of past and future moments, past and future selves that are all connected across and through countless cycles of nonlinear time. When we look back at our lives, whether through astrology or 
and it just our memories, our photo albums, our journals, or when we look forward to what might be possible, whether it's tracking a particular transit or secondary progression or looking at zodiacal releasing, these are astrological timing techniques, or just, you know, people writing their five-year plans or 10-year plans or putting together their vision boards or whatever, whatever practice that someone has for imagining that they will be present in a future in some way. That I think part of why we do that astrologically and otherwise is that our sense of the present changes when we access those past and future selves, those past and future moments, that this moment becomes different because of the ways that we can orient our attention to the elsewhere and elsewhen of nonlinear time. Yeah, that was what came up for me as we were as we were turning our attention to and from that piece. I'm gonna weep when this is over, <laughs> but in a cathartic, joyful, mm. and like all all of it way. Like, <laughs> yeah, thank you for what you've given to me today. And I know when the listeners get to hear this, there will be a lot of a lot of medicine delivered mm. in this. So I am just I am beyond grateful. Me too. It makes me makes me think of one of the principles of emergent strategy that is articulated by Adrian Marie Brown in the book Emergent Strategy is what is the conversation let me get this right there's a conversation in the room that only these people at this moment can have find it and i think we did that here today in this conversation it's like this is the conversation that only we could have yeah. in this moment mm. ooh yeah where can people find you because I want everybody to find you now. <laughs> I think the best place to find me is my website, which is michaeljmorris.co. People can also find me on Instagram at co-witchcraft-offerings, which is the name of my consulting practice or my practice through which I offer astrology and tarot and movement-based ritual practices. And there's a lot of things that I offer in an ongoing way. I don't know when this will come out, so I don't want to focus too much on specific events that are coming up. But in an ongoing way, I offer astrology consultations, which can be both exploring people's natal charts as a kind of map of their life and their purpose, as well as timing things like I was just speaking about in terms of year ahead readings and offering people a sense of where they are now and what's coming up for them on the horizon. I offer tarot readings, which is in the way that I practice primarily a practice of formulating and then exploring our questions mm. using the tarot. I offer one-on-one -on -one tutoring and mentorship for people who are studying astrology and who are looking for some additional support in their studies. It's a common experience, I think, for people who've been reading astrology books for many years mm -hmm. or even taken several years of courses with an astrologer that there's this growing list of questions of like, but what about? I that bet. you just want to like talk through with someone and that's really what that offering is for, is just to give people some support in their studies. It's not a structured curriculum, it's just a place to be with someone who can talk through some of those questions with you. And then this fall, this autumn, I'm also piloting a new offering called A Room Beneath the Stars, which is a once a month facilitated conversation that's rooted in astrology and engaged with coming into right relationship with change. So it's mostly focused toward people who are students or practitioners of astrology, but who are also um, engaged in some meaningful way in being part of change in the world and what does astrology and that, that coming into right relationship with change have to do with one another. And it's that quote from Adrian 
about finding the conversation that only these people in the room can have is really the guiding principle of that offering um, of a room beneath the stars is whoever's there, what is it that we can discover about astrology and being in this world that we could only discover because this particular group of people gathered and had that conversation? So Mm -hmm. those are the offerings that are available in an ongoing way. Um, And all of that information can be found on my website, which again is michaeljmorris.co. I hope you know how special you are. Hmm. I mean, all of us are special, but there's a specialness that is just, I'm just basking in it. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. It's been such an honor to be here and to be with all of this with you. And the with is important there. Thank you. Thanks to our guest for an amazing conversation today. To find out more about today's guest, you can visit www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. You can find Sarah at, at Head Heart Biz Therapy on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find Anne at, at Spare Room Wellness or spareroomwellness.com. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.